I'm in. Oh, hi. I'm Sarah. And we are Dead, Dead My, my Dearest. dearest. Ding, ding, ding. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Are you ready? I've been ready. Born ready. Born ready? Man, we are really close right now. We are super close. We need better mics. We need better mics. <laughs> yeah. So we're using one microphone right now. We're gonna we're we're gonna upgrade the system when we got the cashola. Yeah, maybe maybe do a Patreon. Or maybe something. it's something at some point, but yeah. right now it's like us making out over one microphone. You know, this is just the worst. I can't imagine what else would be worse. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay, what, that's what kissing sounds. like. That's what ki- lesbian kissing sounds like. Allah. <laughs> Gross. What, <laughs> what are we doing? What, what is happening weird. today? Okay, we're being weird. This one's going to be a long one. Oh, okay. Is it two-parter? Um, no, it'll be just one longer one. Okay, so like... Probably an, like an hour and 15. Okay, an hour and 15. Because I've determined that one full page of type notes is roughly 15 minutes. Ah, so, I see. And it was just, there was too many things. I, I couldn't trim. I got too excited. Okay. Yeah. Well, then, what, what is today's topic? Today's topic, whoops, I banged the mic, is rare psychological disorders. I like how we are so close that we banged the mic. And with my chin. With your chin. And wow, you know, I, I might have been in a past life a psychologist. Maybe. Yes. Perhaps. Perhaps, yes. Well, you weren't a psychologist. No, I was a psychologist. You studied it. I studied it and yeah. never went into Clarification. It. Yeah, I never <laughs> yeah. went into it, yeah. so... Um, and I didn't get my master's. I got my bachelor's. You well, know. that's still that's still something. That's a lot. And then I never used it promptly ever again. No, that's not even true. You did use it a lot in marketing. No, in hmm. in community management. No, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. You I wrote guess, a lot yeah. of stuff using that specifically. That's true. I actually did like write one couple presentations with citations and crap, which was yeah. weird doing that outside of college, writing again with citations. Not and, for like, me. Not for MLA you. MLA for life. I know MLA style. <laughs> Well, you know, you have your weird MLA style. I've got my APA style. Yeah. Superior. Probably, yeah. I'm not even going to fight you on it. It <laughs> probably is. But we're covering rare psychological disorders. Yes. And that sounds fascinating to me. It super is. I might know a few. This is this is why Yeah. it's a longer one. Um, because I have a list of like 20. Again, we will do more. We'll cover more in the future. This yeah. is not a specific two-parter. It's... Part two or three will come later on. It's more like the Japanese urban legends. Yeah, yeah. We'll where we're like, do more. there's plenty out there. We can always talk about more. I really fell down a rabbit hole of um, rare psychological disorders that are culture specific. I'm not covering those today, but I do want to do an episode that's just culture specific because they were fascinating. That sounds that sounds really cool. It Actually, was really cool. I. I like learning about new cultures mm-hmm. i like hearing the stories of them mm-hmm. you know and what in their past but today we're focusing where on america britain um this is overall worldwide they're okay. just some of the more rare ones um because some of them aren't even in the dsm interesting they're, so, they're like so rare cases recorded ever wow that they're not so the dsm for those who don't know is the diagnostic and statistic manual uh it is what psychologists psych- and psychiatrists and therapists use, not therapists, but psychiatrists yeah. specifically, to mm-hmm. diagnose um, disorders. So things like bipolar 1, bipolar 2, mm-hmm. major depressive, um, all of that is listed in the DSM. And it's also used for insurance. So when you get diagnosed, that's reported to insurance. Yep. And then they, you know, 
provide benefits. Exactly. So it's it's used in a lot of things, and I think people may not realize if you get mental health, how critical the DSM is. Exactly. I actually have both four and five here in the house. Yes. So. Yeah. And five is the latest, of yeah. course. Yeah, five is the one that they were actually making at the University of Pittsburgh while I was in attendance. That's pretty cool. Which was pretty crazy. That's and pretty I had wild. two professors who were on the DSM board. That's so, awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. So I did want to just make a quick note. Um, in the past, I have said, that's crazy. That is, has been an exclamation for me. And I'm moving to work away, like not use that term because it is uh, anybody who's neurodivergent it can be seen as an insult. So I just wanted to do a quick apology. And if I do mess up and say that, I will quickly correct myself. Um, understand in the past, that was not my intent to hurt anybody's feelings, obviously. We're all growing and learning. It's yeah. a learning time. So. I'm, I'm, I'm nodding here, yeah. you know, um, as someone who is obviously transgender, mm -hmm. you know. My, Wait, you're trans? I'm trans. Wow. Shocking. I know. We're learning this for the first time at least on the podcast i'm saying it out loud for yeah the that's first true time. that's yeah. true which is listed in the dsm and it's listed for specifically medical reasons mm -hmm. so people can get benefits i actually i had written that down as a You've point that, yeah. oh yeah yeah yep. well see i'm already guessing you're the already things. guessing you already know yeah so good. we have we haven't even gotten started yeah. yet but let's get started let's, let's kick it off i want to hear about these okay. things okay so we're going to start with something called Body Integrity Identity Disorder, or BIID. Do you know what this is? You know, you mentioned it, and that's uh, some of the reason why I know what it is. I've heard it briefly, but I think you got way more information than I, I ever have, have on lot. it. Yes. Well, let's. What? Tell me about BIID. BIID. Yes. It's a lot of eyes. It is. Yeah. So this disorder is defined as a rare. Infre quote unquote, a rare, infrequently studied and highly secretive condition in which there is a mismatch between the mental body image and the physical body image. Wait, 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 wait. So let's go back here for a second. Why is it secretive? Well, I have to finish defining it. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. I because I'm just interested. Yeah. Subjects suffering from BIID have an intense desire to amputate a major limb or limbs or sever the spinal cord in order to become paralyzed. That's why it's secretive. Oh, okay. Now that makes way more sense. Yeah. Uh, this starts typically in early childhood. Uh, sufferers feel that they need to amputate the limbs or become paralyzed in order to feel, quote, complete and satisfied within their bodies. This is also, this condition is also referred to as, uh, let me sound this out, apodomenophilia. And this, this name in particular is slightly problematic, and I'll explain why. This uh, classifies it as a paraphilia, just by the name, rather than identity disorder. Because, let's break this down. The Greek words, apo, means away from. Temno means peace, peace cut off. And philia means love. So the general overall um, Greek roots mean love for amputation but it's not like it's not actually a philia it's there's debate okay well i'll get into it <laughs> it is also sometimes because it's so like rarely studied because it's so rare um it's also called xenomen 
xenomelia, which translates to foreign limb. You feel as if the limb or uh, the bottom part of your body is not yours. So to clarify a couple things, I'm going to define what psychosis is and what paraphilia is so we can have a better understanding of this particular identity disorder. Yeah, if you didn't define what paraphilia is, I was going to do it. I got so it. I got <laughs> I'm it. already trying to get ahead of the game. Yeah. Uh, so psychosis is a, it's difficult to kind of wheedle it down. So it's broadly defined as gross impairment in reality testing or loss of ego boundaries. Um, and this highly interferes with the capacity to just meet the ordinary, ordinary demands of life. Um, you usually need the presence of hallucinations and or delusions in order to be considered to have a psychosis. But if you have a formal thought disorder, instead of hallucinations and delusions, um, and this is accompanied by like gross disorganized behavior, catatonia, things like that, then they'll sub in that formal thought disorder in place of hallucinations and delusions to say this is a psychosis. So that's the general idea. This is not considered a psychosis which is why I wanted to define that. It is interfering with life, but it's an identity disorder. Originally, people thought it was a psychosis, then they moved to a paraphilia. Paraphilia is the experience of intense sexual arousal to atypical objects, situations, fantasies, behaviors, or individuals. But there's a caveat to that, and it's a specific caveat from the DSM-5, these paraphilias must be um, causing distress or impairment to the individual, or it has to be a paraphilia whose satisfaction uh, entails personal harm or risk to others. Because the reason they make that distinction, it has to have that distress element, is they're trying to depathologize kinks, basically. Like people are out there, we're understanding like there's a wide variety of things that get people off. This is all fine. None of that is bad. It only becomes a paraphilia. It only becomes something that you need to diagnose and help with because it causes distress. Does that make sense? Now, is that distress caused to the individual or is it, can, I mean, you said other individuals. It can be to the individual who suffers from it or to others and or. Right. And that's why, you know, as you said, we're moving away from paraphilia as a description of kink. Right. Yes. As, as they whole. want to depathologize kink. Like you don't want to say someone who's into BDSM, that's not a paraphilia because the people are consenting. BDSM is all about consent. That's just a kink. Does that make sense? The it, clarification? It does. Yes. Yeah. And I was also going to add in for our, view, our viewers, our listeners, <laughs> I'm so used to doing this on Twitch, um, that there is, of course, fetish, which I, I think really falls in the in-between. Like a fetish, for example, is you need this in order to be able to experience sexual arousal. Well, um, yes. It's the traditional, yes. I think, definition. Some, sometimes yeah. people just move it into like, all these things get a little wishy-washy. Exactly. Right? That's if why I'm not, trying to like yeah. break them down. And that's yeah. not a paraphilia per se no because it's not causing distress distress it may be something that you need for sexual arousal arousal or pleasure but most fetishes are not causing the person 
distress or the participants distress right paraphilias are you know um uh, non-consensual co uh, content warning rape fantasies in which you feel you have to do that in order to have sexual pleasure that's a paraphilia right yeah. oh, and another example would be um there was a study done with a man who could not experience sexual arousal without holding a doorknob and that is because he uh was always deathly afraid of his parents coming in and basically catching him in the act of masturbation. So um, he had to hold a doorknob, and that did cause him personal distress uh, Ooh, in some way. It gets yeah. a little wishy-washy. Like, okay, I yeah. think currently that would be defined as a fetish. At this point, yes. Because yeah. he's an adult man. Yes. He feels he needs to do this for sexual completion. Yes. But if he doesn't do it he's just not getting off he's not his life is not fundamentally altered oh he experienced major depression oh us. well in that case yeah, yeah it may be a paraphernalia yeah yeah i think that's why they they moved ah, it into that i see they okay. say there was personal distress Got behind it, it. and then of course like i said fetishes the the need and then below that not below that but we're moving a lot of things into kink which is optional like mm -hmm. it's like BDSM for some people is fun, but they don't always need BDSM in order to experience sexual arousal. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's just a clarification of where these lines are kind of drawn. And again, it's we're we're moving through this, we're learning as this area of science continues to become defined because when this was first being studied in the 1800s, of course, um everything was listed as a sexual perversion or a sexual deviance even homosexuality which we understand is a perfectly normal natural part of human sexuality um you know they had everything kind of listed under there so we're moving away from that idea of like perversion or deviance because it's taken such a negative connotation to realizing no these are just a a lot of these are natural paths of sexuality and natural you know excitements kinks whatever into understanding it has to cause distress right right and, I, and it's very rare for professors right to be studying this or researchers it, it's becoming more common now but previously this was an area of psychology that we tangentially jumped into but didn't always just make it like a focus like i'm thinking of for example Catherine gates from harvard who has literally made fetish and sexual arousal everything that she does like that is what oh, yeah it's fascinating is, it's absolutely fascinating yeah i think it just depends like we don't have enough scientists you know we don't yeah. have enough psychologists to kind of study all the different things out there i know and it's it's this is a very very interesting like field but i think we're, we're getting off topic yeah we're, we're we're going yeah we're it's going okay. deep psychology deep psychology and i did actually because you've already mentioned this i did want to mention um there was a big debate um, in, in understanding what the difference is and, and why things are classified in the DSM and why they aren't. Being transgender is still listed in the DSM uh, because specifically, this was the debate, it allows doctors to give a diagnosis and the transgender patients can then get medical care. So health care insurance will cover it. And it was, I know you, of course, know it's a debate between the stigma around this and then just the need for care in particularly 
United States society. Yeah, and I can actually say from personal experience, as I mentioned, two of my professors were involved in the creation of the DSM-5. And at one point after class, one of them actually grabbed me and said, hey, we're having a debate on this. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. I thought I told you this. Yeah, he grabbed me after class and said, we're having a debate on this. I know you're transgender. What's your opinion? And I I was actually for keeping it in the DSM specifically for insurance reasons. Right. And that's what he, because he gave me like the, the two perspectives that they were concerned with. Obviously, like they want to de-stigmatize it. Right, exactly. Uh, and they, but they were concerned about insurance. And I said, it's more important for people to get help, physical help. Oh, God, yeah. Than it is to, unfortunately, de-stigmatize. Like they're, they're both important mm. <laughs> and we could do things separately. I think that's where yeah. I, I, my suggestion was, and he took that into consideration. Yeah. You need yeah. HRT, you need surgeries. If the person feels like that's how they have to continue their journey, things like that. Yeah. So. It was very difficult. And I could see, like he mentioned, they were having a very, very difficult time Yeah, because they all agreed that it should have been destigmatized, but they weren't sure how to go about it without harming others. Right. So, so Science has moved away, again, as I mentioned, from the idea that uh, body integrity identity disorder is a form of psychosis. For some, it may still be a paraphilia. Part of the reason that this became kind of a more known uh, problem for people is in the 1970s, Playboy published, I want to say, a picture of an amputee pinup. And so many people wrote in and said wow this is like what i feel like this is something that gets me off so on and so forth um so originally that's why it was listed as a paraphilia because it it was connected to sexual desire and it is a paraphilia for some people a small percentage of bid sufferers but some like that's what they feel like they need for sexual completion but for most people um, it is considered an identity disorder that may have genetic links. Still, again, hotly debated because it's so rarely studied. That's that's crazy. That's, yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. It's crazy. That's very interesting. Yeah, there, you go. there we go. There we, go. Go. we both have to learn We're about working this. On it. And I've actually seen, because I'm a woman on the internet, therefore the internet has a lot of things. I've actually seen some of the art of this Yeah. for specifically sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, again, very rare, but it is out there, so... So the scientific studies that have happened for some BIID sufferers show that they have altered brain structure, shape, and activity, mainly in the parietal lobe, and atypical behaviors monitored by these areas. So this data basically raises the the question that BIID may be due to dysfunction or change in the brain structures that are devoted to body representation and corporeal awareness which is so your brain may be genetically altered it might have a a strange shape or the neural pathways might be kind of messed up for you know super layman's terms and it's basically messing with the parts of the brain that understand body representation and where you are in space that that is fascinating it really is i want to see more research done on that because i'm guessing they're using mris and things like uh, that yeah again yeah. this is you know i was reading a lot of the studies so i was seeing how hotly debated it is it's 
great you can get a lot of these studies and read them directly online um yeah it's just it's super fascinating i, I should mention for people who are very interested uh jstor for example uh, which is a, a research platform normally used in universities they recently opened up access to jstor mm -hmm. for other people outside of a university which yeah. is great <laughs> and pubmed is another one Ooh, that's specifically yeah. medical papers yeah pubmed yeah so these sufferers don't tend to suffer from other psychiatric disorders, but because of the enormous amount of stress they feel over this condition, depression and anxiety disorders can be comorbid with this. Clinically, there's very little difference between people who would prefer amputation to paralyzation. They fall into one of the two categories. Um, this this condition, as we mentioned, is not in the DSM, and it is also not, this is another important classification kind of manual, it is not listed in the International Statistical Classification of Disease. So I think that's called the ICD or ISCD. It's also not in that, and that's like the worldwide one. Right, right. And um, you mentioned comorbidity. We should mm -hmm. mention for listeners who may not be so deep in, in psychological or science that comorbidity is when two things essentially happen together is like the English, yeah, the English they, version. They may yeah. not be directly related, Correct. but they are existing within the person at the same time. Correct. Yeah. It's not like you're both dead or something. It's not like co-dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not like you can um, have comorbid anxiety and depression those two things exist in you, but they're not necessarily linked. You might be able to, um, with therapy and medication, work through your depression, but you're still suffering from anxiety. It's just dependent. Yeah. You could also say, you know, we're both dead, my dearest. Therefore, we're comorbid. Oh, babe, that's really cute. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Um, so as such, because it's not in these very important, you know, diagnostic manuals, um, very few healthcare workers know about it and sufferers because there's so much stigma around this don't tend to seek medical help. Many resort to pretending to be disabled and some have even amputated their own limbs. Ow. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Um, this is a couple quotes from a study I read from people who were dealing with this. While psychotherapy did not help BIID directly, it did help my understanding of my relationship to BIID. And another person said, I'm wondering if I am eligible to participate in this study because since my amputation, I do not have BIID feelings anymore. Wow. Uh, and wow. Yeah. Uh, this was the, the further quote that I found in this particular study because I read a lot. Surgery is found helpful in all subjects who underwent amputation, and those subjects, are you ready for this? Yeah. Score significantly lower on a disability scale than BIID subjects without body modification. Further, amputation of the healthy body part appears to result in the remission of the BIID and an impressive improvement in quality of life. So it's actually... We're seeing a case where you can, I'm trying to figure out how to say this. We're seeing a case where amputation or actual causing a dis disability is improving life. Yeah, and they score lower on a disability 
scale. What's the disability scale? Uh, that one yeah. I didn't study too, too much. It's just okay. basically like how how much physical functionality you have in day-to-day -day life is my understanding. That's that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of learning so, right there. It's so fascinating. And it's also, I mean, when I was researching this, I had to take a break because I did, you know, several hours of research on this first topic. And it was so, I don't I was just so touched by this plight and had such empathy and what an awful place to be in. Like I, I had to step away from the research because it was really like really affecting me. I felt really bad for folks who deal with this. Yeah. I could say like from my experience as a transgender woman, which is nothing like this, you know, nope, but totally different, totally different, but there is a little bit of the, you feel wrong. Right. Like you feel like just something is just off and bad about yourself and it causes so much distress and pain. Like it just, it really hits you. And yeah. I could not imagine what that feels like for someone who has this specifically. Yeah, it would be really, really, my heart goes out. Yeah, my heart goes out too. So next thing, uh, cup bras syndrome, which some people might know. I thought for a second you said cup bras. No. Cup bras. <laughs> cop bras. Cop, cop, oh, cop bras. Cop Grass. Ah, syndrome. There's the Boston. Yeah. No, no, that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I say, like, at first. Yeah. So, this is a disorder in which the sufferer has a delusion where a close family member, friend, or even a pet has been replaced by an identical lookalike. So, this was named for the French psychiatrist Joseph Copgras, who co authored one of the first papers on this disorder back in 1923. So this, this is this is sad, and Capgras is going to relate to the next three things because it all affects a similar area of the mind. This disorder um, may affect sufferers acutely. The delusion may come and go, or they might experience it once, and then it never comes back, which is wild. So it's almost like I'm trying to think of what what, what is it like? temporary amnesia almost right like oh i yeah. have that too yeah oh my goodness yes yeah, yeah. yeah. you always know you always, I always know. know yeah it's great because like i don't share these things with you typically unless no. i'm like oh i gotta tell you about this research and sometimes you turn around and, and just all of a sudden get very excited about yeah, something it's really oh it's fascinating yeah you keep the secret from me and then i just learn well, about it yeah then you get to learn as we go that's true it's exciting yeah, it's not really a secret i just get excited so cop gras is something that happens in people who are paranoid schizophrenics but it can also happen in people who have dementia, uh, TBIs, traumatic brain injury, stroke, hypothyroidism, hypo, not hyper, hypo, Parkinson's, diabetes, vitamin deficiencies such as low B12, very low B12, or even severe migraines. Dun, dun, dun. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. I suffer from severe migraines. So. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, um, I know you are you. Yeah. But is it possible for this to be not comorbid with one of those? I guess that's my question. Oh, if you have, if you suffer, this is a rare disorder. Right. Yeah. It's not going to, if you get a TBI, you're not necessarily going to suffer from cop gras. It might, it might not happen in that part yeah. of the brain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, if you take the drug ketamine, it can cause this to temporarily happen. Whoa. So, you know, don't, don't take ketamine, kids. 
I'm, I don't even know how you take ketamine. I'm such a baby. I don't know. Either. I'm like such an innocent human. Yeah. <laughs> Someone was like, how do you, how do you do crack cocaine? I'm like, I, I have no idea. In my mind, it sounds like pop rocks. I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I'm good. <laughs> no, I'm fine. Bye bye where I'm at. So there's a couple of hypotheses as to why this happens. Um, and they're fairly certain they've they've narrowed this down, but again, more research is needed. They believe that there is damage to the frontal lobe or um, the neural pathway is interrupted from the signals of the frontal lobe to other lobes of the brain. There's a doctor called Dr. William Hurstein who co-authored a lot of the primary studies on this particularly. And he said, according to my current approach, because he's recently kind of revised his hypothesis a bit, we represent people we know well with hybrid representations containing two parts. One part represents them externally, how they look, sound, etc. The other part represents them internally, their personalities, beliefs, characteristic emotions, preferences, etc. Copgrass syndrome occurs when the internal portion of that representation is damaged or inaccessible. This produces the impression of someone who looks right on the outside, but seems different on the inside, i.e. is an imposter. Um, and this, he, he altered his hypothesis because this matches much more closely with what the patients were actually saying. Wow. So, Wow. Yeah, I don't even know what to add to that because it's it's so deep, you know, and of course, it's it's so hard to research because it happens so rarely. Right. 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 There is actually this is this was wild. It was super fascinating. There was a TED talk in um, 2007 and it's called Three Clues to Understanding Your Brain. It was presented by Dr. V.S. Ramachandran. He is a British Indian neurologist. You can get this online. I watched it. It was wild. And I'm actually going to put up the link on our Facebook page. It was super, super interesting. So he explains, are you ready for this? I'm ready for this. He explains that there is a tiny area in your frontal lobe and it's called the fusiform gyrus. It is specifically the area of the brain that allows us to recognize faces. So fusiform gyrus is specific to facial recognition, not colors, shapes, anything like that. And it's specific to sight, not hearing, nothing else, just sight. Um, so this structure is still there and it's working, but then it sends signals to your amygdala. And your amygdala are those little almond pieces of the brain, they're almond sized, right? on either side in the central hemisphere. It's like, boop, boop, touching your head. You touch my head, yes. Touching your head. And that those are the pieces that allow us to experience emotion. So you get the fusiform gyrus sees a face, sends a signal to the amygdala, and nothing happens because that pathway is broken or impaired or damaged in some, some manner. So there's a no emotional attachment to that face. So your brain is like, well, what the hell's going on here? I know this face, but I don't feel anything about it. So you say, aha, an imposter. So 
this is the coolest part. It's sad, but also really, really cool. Let's say I'm in a car accident, God forbid. Right. And I get a TBI. Whoops, I'm banging the mic again. Banging that mic. I'll move the pop filter slightly. There we go. Thank you. Yeah, I got you. So you come in to the room and I have cop grass syndrome. I know your face, but I don't recognize you. You could ex I would say, no, that's not my wife. She looks just like my wife, but she's an imposter. You can leave the room so I can't see you anymore. You call me on the cell phone and I'm like, oh, hi, baby. Where are you? I just, I just crashed the car. I recognize your voice. I have all of those same emotional attachments because that pathway is a different part of the brain to the amygdala for hearing. But you can walk back in the room. I don't know who you are. You're an imposter. <laughs> an I know imposter. who you are, but you're an imposter. I, I am the wrong person. Yeah. I, I am wearing someone else's skin. Like well, body you're wearing snatchers. my wife's skin. Yeah, specifically. But you're not my wife. I'm not. I'm not. Which your is wife. so cool. So should I really leave the room right now and call no, you? I don't want you to leave the room. <laughs> um, I am going to put up that link for that TED Talk because all of it is just, it's like a half an hour long or so and it's just really interesting. Um, before we go to our commercial break, I wanted to make a quick, uh, I just had a thought about this in general. So I started thinking about the fairy tale of changelings where a woman has a baby, the baby seems fine for a little while, and then as if overnight, um, something is happening with the baby. It's crying all the time. It's not growing well, whatever it is. The idea is that fairies came in, took the healthy baby, and substituted it out for one of their own. You know, this is a changeling. It's now ill-formed and, and not growing well and cries all the time and is difficult. So a lot of the ideas around why this myth came up are like, oh, maybe the child was uh, developmentally delayed or showed signs of autism or a lot of other kind of things like that. But I got thinking about this. Go go with me on this journey. Buddy. I see. I think I see where you're going yeah. on this journey. So what if when you're um, vitamin deficient, that tends to be something that you have malabsorption problems. So you have difficulty absorbing those vitamins and minerals in your body. And B12 is not an uncommon one, right? So if a pregnant woman is B12 deficient, Either she's not getting enough B12 or her body just can't absorb it properly. The child growing within her is very likely going to be B12 deficient as well, right? And B12 plays a super important part in brain development. So let's say the mother is B12 deficient, has the child, a severe B12 deficiency can result in Copgrass syndrome. So they're like, this looks like my baby, but it's an imposter changeling or the child is developmentally slow because it was low b12 and its brain didn't develop the way it was supposed to so mother looks at the baby and is like this isn't my baby it looks like my baby but it's you know it's a changeling something's wrong it's an imposter so there could be like maybe somewhere there's some kind of correlation between low b12 in mothers and, and new babies and the myth of changelings and Capgras. Yeah, I was going to say, you're going to go after the B12 thing, aren't yep. you? Yeah, because yep. B12 just... is very easy. Not easy, but you can be deficient in yeah. it. Yeah, oh yep. yeah. Just like vitamin D, same kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. But uh, commercial break time. Commercial break time. Which means fun music for you. Interlude. 
and then drinks for us. Yep. So we'll be right back after this. And what are we doing after this? We have quite a few things. Reduplicative. Reduplicative. That's a word. That's a word. Paramnesia. Fregoli's delusion. And Cotard delusion. I know Cotards. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back after this. Don't go anywhere. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. We're back. We're back. We needed drinks. <laughs> yeah, they were really good. And other people probably needed to pee. Maybe you needed to pee. Maybe yeah. you paused. Or maybe you're in the car and just enjoyed some nice music. Yeah, just a little bit of... Smooth, weird music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you thought I was going to say jazz, listeners. I know, yeah. I was like, wait, what? I like it. I like it. <laughs> All right, so next thing. You teased it. I want to hear it. Reduplicative paramnesia which is a mouthful that's a word yes and this is just it's actually going to be a quick mention because it's similar to cop gras or it's directly related i should say so reduplicative paramnesia is the delusional belief that a place or location has been relocated or duplicated uh, it presents with many of the same things that presents with Capgras syndrome, and you can actually have this and Capgras at the same time, which is very upsetting. It comes about because of brain injury, dementia, uh, brain lesions, schizophrenia, etc. It affects the frontal lobe of the brain and connections to other areas of the brain. So either the frontal lobe is damaged, has a lesion, something like that, or it's the pathway has been messed up and interrupted somehow uh it is not related to the fusiform gyrus because that's facial specifically but it's our our emotional attachment typically to some kind of place so you look at your house and you're like this looks like my house but this isn't where i live my house must have been moved somehow oh yeah okay i can see the i mean obviously parallels yeah. here so yeah. instead of a person it's a place you know well right right okay and that's all I'm going to say about that, because there's no need to... We kind of covered it in Cop Cross. Yeah, exactly. It's just kind of like just a different take on, on Cop Cross syndrome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So then we move on to Frigoli. Frigoli? There are so many words. Frigoli. 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 Frigoli's delusion. This one is named after uh, Leopoldo Frigoli. He is an Italian actor who lived in... Victorian times. Oh, your favorite thing. I love it. You also got a little little Italian on that. I did. <laughs> Leopoldo Frigoli. I don't know. I'm we, not Italian. We apologize. We're not Italian. <laughs> We're not Italian. Yeah. The man upstairs. The man upstairs, my brother slash roommate, is yes, Italian. Is Italian. Yes. Should have asked him. He is uh, renowned as one of the greatest impersonators that ever lived and one of the greatest quick change artists. Oh, so. So okay. you'll understand in a second why they call it this. So this is a disorder, and these are all kind of linked, except for the last one. That's that's why I have them listed this way. This is a disorder in which the sufferer believes that several people are actually the same person in disguise. So this is 
as with the last two listed, a delusional misidentification syndrome. So unlike Cop Gras, this is actually a shared hallucination. This is, uh, yeah, no, it's, shared... it's just one person. It's not. It's oh, not... it's one person believing that a group of people. It's one person will be, um, instead of looking at their wife and saying, that looks like my wife, but is an imposter. <clears throat> Excuse me. They will look at the mailman and the milkman and the cable TV man and say, that's my husband. All of those people, he's just, you know, doing a quick change to kind of come talk to me secretively. There's a lot of like mental jumps that go in with the logic of this. Right, right. This is almost like comorbid with paranoia in some ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of the cases here, these are sufferers of paranoid schizophrenia. Oh, okay. That's kind of the most common. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, causes of this, sorry, excuse me, are TBI, where the area of the brain affecting memory and memory retrieval are specifically damaged. Paranoid schizophrenia, brain lesions, uh, Parkinson's, and then there was a specific drug, which is still out there today, uh, called levodopa. Is it here in America? or people still use it. For what? It's a drug. It was one of the early drugs that was used to treat Parkinson's. And it specifically causes, not in everybody, but in some people, for Goli's delusion. It's actually, like, listed. Yeah. Wow. They have, you can um, have the people not experience this by taking them off of uh, levodopa and moving them onto something else. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But it is, it's still, still out there. So that's, wow. Yeah. (laughs) So again, we're talking about the fusiform gyrus, that, that little spot. It's just a little little piece in the brain that recognizes faces by sight. This thing's really important. It's so important. I'm learning a lot about this and thing it's today. it's not only so important, but all the pathways to and from it are super critical. Right. Because when a, the sight pathway from the fusiform gyrus to another area is affected, this can crop up. So it's basically the opposite of Copgras. We really are organic computers. Oh my gosh, yeah. We're yeah. just brains in a jar. Yep. Yeah. My my bro slash roommate and I were having this conversation like just, we were agreeing, but we were kind of yelling at each other in excitement, kind of waving our arms like, the brains are so cool. <laughs> <laughs> How do we keep getting back to the Matrix? Now we're like brain in a jar, yeah. body in a jar. Yeah, like Because you love the Matrix. I love the Matrix. Um, I want to give a case example, and this is from a paper done in 2014, just to give a a little clearer idea of how this manifests. A 23-year-old Miss G was brought into our hospital by her family with the complaint that she falsely claimed she was in love with a man for the past six months, and she had gotten married to him in the previous month. Furthermore, She wanted to live with him despite having no idea of his whereabouts. She claimed that she saw him in every person and felt that other people resembled him a lot. According to her, he took their form in order to meet her. She frequently entered into quarrels and arguments with her parents and siblings as she claimed that she had met this person and must live with him in order to start a family. Her family made many attempts to convince her that all these claims of hers were not true. Even then, she continued to be strongly convinced that she was married to this man and that he was around. So he was like manifesting in almost all the people that she saw. Wow. And she was 
convinced this was the case. Wow. I know. So he was everywhere. He was in, like, all these people. But he was nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> this, what I will not remember the movie name, but it's basically, like, a, the thing that follows. It's, like, a demon that jumps from person to person to, like, hunt. It's like, it almost kind of, like, makes me think of that. I believe it's just called It Follows. It might be. It is called It, it Follows. I know there was, like, a recent remake and the remake was really crappy but the original was good oh no this isn't it like it follows was about like essentially an std oh right that's yeah. right <laughs> and like once yeah. you got it teens teens don't uh yeah it was a bunch of teens <laughs> yeah and like they you know if they get it there's like a line of people right it goes yeah. for the last one that got it and then goes to the next one and it's the next like one the quintessential 80s don't have sex if you're a teen or you'll die right right <laughs> In this monstrous is ways. definitely it yeah yeah so this is this one's really tragic because as with other delusional misidentification syndromes like we've just talked about uh, this one in particular, the sufferers may exhibit aggression towards people that they don't recognize. It's kind of sad. Oh, yeah, that is really sad. Okay. This is the most fascinating one. Okay. We're, we're, to me. To, yeah, yeah. We're, we we're, keep, we're at keep it. sliding down. No, we keep bit. sliding the mic. I think I got to check my mic stand. Yeah, we'll fix it after. Okay. Caught our delusion. It is known as. Cotter's syndrome or walking corpse syndrome as well. Oh no. It's so it's so fast. It's very sad, but very fascinating. It's names named, excuse me, for Jules Cotard, a French neurologist who wrote a paper on it. He originally dubbed this delusion the delirium of negation. So it's super duper duper rare people talk about it you kind of see it as like the top weirdest uh psychological disorder you know youtube clip or whatever like so people will know about it um but it's incredibly rare like biid it's rarer than biid uh, it does not appear in the dsm or the international statistical classifications of diseases in the world in history there are 200 known cases when was this data back to um, they started recording this, I want to say this one, the first record of it popped up in like the 1600s. Whoa. So, But Cotard wrote a paper on this either late Victorian times or early 1900s. So this is not a insignificant amount of time we're talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. This is hundreds of years. Yeah. And we've only had 200 people. That have been recorded. Recorded, yeah. yes. Because it's, it's just very, very rare. So this is a disorder in which the person has a delusion that they are dead, actively rotting, or are missing some organs or blood. Right. And this is the one I knew. Yeah. Because I've heard about this yeah. and seen, I shouldn't say research, I've seen pop culture information on yeah. this. Yeah. I cannot say that I have dug into this as you have. So Pop culture likes to use a lot of these things as kind of like a clickbaity sort of things. Which is specifically why I wanted to research them to like bring a little bit more actual research and humanity into them. Yeah, you might. I mean, you might have noticed from this episode we're not laughing as much, yeah, we're not joking this, as much. This is a hard. This is a hard one. Yeah, it's just a hard topic. It's not like 
joking about ghosts. Right. Where ghosts aren't real. These or are very crazy Victorians. Right. This, this is a very real set of syndromes yeah. that these are the, there are people who suffer from these things today. today. So. Yeah. Uh, many, about half of the sufferers who have been noted to have this believe that they were immortal or are immortal. It is seen, it's seen in a variety of people though. So it doesn't kind of have, outside of some kind of brain damage or the brain being affected, there's no kind of common link. Um, people with TBIs have it, who abuse psychoactive drugs who have epilepsy, mood disorders, migraine again, <laughs> typhoid fever, syphilis, Parkinson's disease, uh, encephalitis, all kinds of stuff. So all I heard there is things that affect your brain. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, there's not just like, oh, well, if you have a brain lesion or, or traumatic brain injury, this could happen. This right. There's a variety of reasons it could happen. Right, all it needs is... One You're of messing those, up your, your brains. Your brains. One of those connections to go a little wonk, yeah. and then suddenly you get one of these. Yeah. So, uh, It's often accompanied with severe depression. Scientific studies describe it as, quote, nihilistic delusions con concerning body and existence to be most frequent. Other descriptions include negation of the mind, brain, intellect, denial of pregnancy, delusional paralysis or cosmos or the world. The nihilistic delusion may also include denial of existence of various aspects of the body or self. Like you might deny that you are alive. You might not have a soul. You might not have a name or age. Maybe you can't walk. You don't need to eat. Uh, your brain, liver, intestines, limbs, heart don't function or exist anymore. Aspects of extrapersonal space denied in nihilistic delusions include the existence of the world, marriages, parents, or children. So there's a lot of things. <coughs> Excuse me. It's considered more severe than simply, quote-unquote, a delusional disorder, which is, you know, pretty, pretty fucking severe anyway, because sufferers will often stop eating, walking, basically doing any functions of life because they think they're dead. Yeah, they literally... They believe they are dead. Yeah, so they're like, I don't need to do this because yeah. I'm dead. Right? They think they're like rotting. It's real. Oh. It's so... It's, it's fascinating, but awful. It's awful. Um, so I wanted to give... Uh, first, the studies that do look at this, and they're looking at this from as much information as they could gather. So a lot of these studies are looking at the cases... And then trying to kind of analyze them because again it's so rare they kind of break this down cotard's delusion into three stages the first is termed germination in which the person feels depression guilt forgetfulness hypochondria feelings of worthlessness and senesthopathy that's a really hard word to say which means um Patients feel weird or abnormal sensations in specific parts of the body, and there's no, like, medical reason they should feel that. They'll be like, um, you know, my right shoulder has these weird pins and needles, and there's nothing wrong with the nerve. They haven't had any damage to it. It's just, it's a somatic issue. <coughs> Excuse me. Second stage is called blooming, which is pretty awful. Oh. <laughs> 
I, like you had to pick germination and blooming for a death delusion. Yeah, I was gonna say these are these are words. Yeah. You know what else? I'm gonna say the the worst word. Moist. Why though? Why? <laughs> no. Cause we're talking about like germination and things well, like that. It just makes me like oof. So the second stage is called blooming. The delusion of being dead or having missing pieces manifests. And then the third station is chronic in which the delusion continues or maybe gets a little worse. How, how do we go from germination blooming just to chronic? Chronic, I know. It was pretty <laughs> weird. And it can present with some of the other delusions that I just spoke about. So I wanted to give two specific examples of this because it is very rare but very interesting. So the first case study example, and I quote, Miss L, a 53-year-old Filipino woman, was admitted to the psychiatric unit when her family called 911 because the patient was complaining that she was dead, she smelled like rotten fish, and she wanted to be taken to a morgue so she could be with dead people. She also admitted to feeling hopelessness, low energy, decreased appetite, and somnolence. Insomnia. (laughs) It's a different word for insomnia. There we go. Yeah. The second case study. Patient, a 31-year-old male, was admitted to a psychiatric hospital in Brazil, presenting insomnia, refusal to eat, soliloquies, and a hanging suicide attempt. He reported that his organs were destroyed, that he was hollow inside, and that he had rotten and smelly flesh. He referred that his body was deformed and his face was full of holes. He even tried to show the the doctor that was examining, like, look, my face is full of holes. Um, He said he was paying for what he had done wrong in the past and that he was not worthy of feeling happiness besides to be sure that he would never see the light of the sun again. That is fucking sad. That's heavy. Yeah, it's really sad. really sad. To lighten up just a minute, let's just roll back on those um, symptoms. I did like how soliloquy... Yeah, I did laugh at that. I was like, I'm super depressed. Let me go into this monologue about life and death and myself and my stinky flesh. And I'll just talk about it to myself. Yeah. For I am taking the stage as a Shakespearean actor. I guess. Yeah, because that's all I hear. And then it's like, and then immediately dive back into I'm depressed and will never see the light of day again. And it's like, ooh. It's kind of, it hit me the same way that pathological shyness. And people oh, okay. who suffer from mercury poisoning had. I was like, that's a real, that's a real random one. <laughs> Soliloquies and pathological shyness, I guess. Yeah, there we go. It's real weird. <laughs> um, this one, it, it does have a, a nicer outcome, though, than some of the others. Um, because antidepressants, antipsychotics, therapy, and even uh, ECT has been known to work. In the cases that I studied, almost all of them, so these were the ones from like, 1950s on because there were proper like case studies on them uh all the people got better that's really nice yeah. to hear that's and like got better in a pretty quick amount of time it was like a month or so that's and then decent. like yeah once they started getting some kind of proper care they came out of this so that's really nice that's really good to hear yeah. and of course ect is more commonly and unfortunately referred to as electroshock therapy yes. uh well you know um, but really, back in the day, that was a bit more barbaric. These days, we're 
much more understanding of it and yeah, the it's, way it's the current yeah. more for more uh, extreme cases but everybody yes. goes into it understanding and it has been known to help a lot of people yeah it actually we've gotten better at it yeah, <laughs> yeah. rather than just putting a lot of voltage into your head well and, we yeah. did a lot of really barbaric things back in the day i was gonna say if hydrotherapy we... insulin comas all kinds of crazy stuff yeah hydrotherapy with like you know temperature shock effectively yeah, you know we can go we can go into the sanitariums again yeah, and talk exactly. about all the crazy yeah. things but uh it's much better these days so i want to like put a, a nicer light on it and yeah. it is still used yeah. yeah and it is it is nice to see that <coughs> excuse me as scary as this delusion is these people did get help um and were able to come out of it yeah so that was good that's a nice note it is a nice note to end yeah on. yeah exactly yeah so, so that was a longer one. Yeah. Those are some of the rare psychological disorders that you can find. I have a list of, like I said, at least 20 more. Um, probably wow. the next one I do in the future, and I teach you the stuff. Yeah. It will be culture specific because those are really cool. I can't wait. And by the <laughs> way, like how you said it was going to be a longer one, we're right on time. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, that's pretty good. How about that? Nice. Yeah. So... Thank you, everyone, as always, for joining us. Um, we really appreciate ha you having here. We're very excited to say, uh, we didn't mention this last episode, but we are now available on Alexa. Yes, we are. On TuneIn. Yep. So you can have Alexa play Dead My Dearest mm -hmm. uh, via TuneIn, and she will do that now. Um, we are also on iHeartRadio. Spotify. Spotify. Podbean. Podbean. Uh, uh, podcast Addicts. Yes. Oh, so many Stitcher. Stitcher. Of course, the major ones were on, you know, the Apple. Buzzsprout Buzz... is our main, main one. Yeah, but we're on the Apple iTunes store. We're on Google Play. And we're also on, what's the third one? Spotify. Spotify. Yeah. yeah, the three big, you know. But it's cool that you can now Alexa ask Alexa to play us. It's pretty wild. And she will do that. Um, we also wanted to give a thank you. Yes. We released our fourth episode. Thursday, so two days ago for yeah. us. Yes. Because we're recording this on a Saturday. And we are well over 100 listens for our podcast, which is pretty wild. Yeah. So we're really flattered. We're very humbled. Um, and we hope you guys like it. We're going to keep pushing out content and teaching you about weird stuff in the world. Yeah, exactly. Neat, neat stuff that you might not have heard of, or maybe you have and just want a different take on it. Yep. So yeah. thanks for coming along on this journey with us. So you can check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash deadmydearest. You can see us on Twitter. <gasps> Twitter.com slash deadmydearest. You can find our Facebook page. Is it Facebook.com slash deadmydearest? It sure is. Aha. Uh -huh. And if you feel like you wanted to reach out to us and send us an email, I keep saying letter, but it's an email. Yes. Do you know where you can find us? Mm, might be deadmydearest at gmail.com. That's right. That's us. You can always talk to us. We don't bite. Well, one of us little, does. Yeah. 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 Vampire. We'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to those later. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, cool. Well, I'll wrap up this episode and uh, maybe I'll put something at the end like I always do. I know. Yeah. If you have not noticed, uh, my beloved wife puts bloopers of us at the end, mm -hmm. which always makes me laugh. We're kind of weird. We hope you in get case, a laugh. In case you didn't know. We hope you get a laugh too. <laughs> Anything you want to say on, on conclusion? Uh, you guys are awesome. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for listening. Thank you. Stay spooky, darlings. Bye-bye.
Dead my dears. Whoa. Sorry, I smell like ramen. Why do you smell like ramen? Because we just ate ramens. Hi, you're cute. It was really good. It was good. Yeah. I love you. You're cute too. I love you too. You got nice eyes. Yeah.